Tell your neighbor they sang really good, all right? And take a hand while we're out there. And you can be seated once you're finished telling your neighbor how good they sang. <laughs> All right, take your hymnal. We're going to look at number 20. It's a, uh, number 20 is a little short kind of a song. It's, uh, we don't sing it very often. Based on a great scripture in Deuteronomy 10, 17, For the Lord your God is a great, mighty, and awesome God. Great and mighty is the name of this song, number 20. <laughs> Ushers, you come as we sing the last stanza.
Thank you, David. We have a video. This is uh, some of the missions in eastern Kentucky. I wanted to show it because we're going there. The First Baptist Church here in Pikeville uh, started a new church plant uh, just a couple of years back. And in the midst of that, we were looking for partners that would come along with that plant. The Eliza brought us offering through um, money given specifically toward uh, church planting and evangelism has played an, uh, a large instrument in helping us plant that church here in East Kentucky. Eliza Broadus offering helped us to uh, not only launch that church plant, but also for the church now to uh, have host backyard Bible clubs, to engage with their community in servant evangelism projects, uh, to start a food pantry, and a number of other ministries in this local community that quite honestly a fledgling church like they are could not do without partnerships across Kentucky that Eliza Broadus allows us to do. Every time a church gives to the Eliza Broadus offering, they're helping church plants uh, like uh, here in East Kentucky do things beyond what they would be able to do by themselves. As a guy who was baptized in a Kentucky Baptist church, has spent most of my life in Kentucky Baptist churches of, of membership and now serving as a Kentucky Baptist pastor, I can testify to the power of the Eliza Broadus offering. And, and I can say an unreserved thank you to every single church that has given um, any money towards that offering. It is incredibly powerful in the way it's used across the state. And uh, I can tell you from personal experience, East Kentucky is seeing uh, the kingdom of Jesus Christ expand thanks to uh, gifts from across this state through the Eliza Broadus offering. That there is John Lucas. He um, went with Ben Biddle and I down to um, Brazil earlier this year. He's the pastor there at First Baptist Church of Pikeville. In fact, that's where the Kentucky Baptist Convention will be held there in Pikeville, uh, their annual meeting in um, November. So, And it's interesting because uh, this weekend at the church we received all... Are the Eliza Brodus is the state missions offering. And what was interesting, uh, we, we received this stuff about um, uh, the different areas and needs of our state. In eastern Kentucky, 10% of that whole region, of, uh, you know, basically anything east of I-75 goes to church. It's actually one of the most least churched regions of our entire state. And, one, and uh, there's several reasons why. One of the reasons why is because of the ruralness where a lot of, a lot of folks in poverty, they just don't have the vehicle transportation to even get to a church. And not only that, a lot of churches don't have the funds for a bus ministry. So it is just, it's just hard uh, to regularly to attend church in such an extremely rural area. And not only that, one of the challenges too um, in that region, the churches are struggling. So when a church starts struggling financially, it starts cutting its programs. So a church that maybe used to meet on Sunday morning for Sunday school, have a morning worship service, then have Sunday night church, then have Wednesday night service, then have a VBS, all these different activities through a week. Well, when, when finances start running very low, you say, we're going to have to cut Wednesday night because it's costing too much to open the doors and we don't have the money to buy this material. We can't pay anybody to do this. We can't print a bulletin. And then you start cutting Sunday night. So what, a lot of times what happens is the churches, they're struggling. Next thing you know, their only ministry is maybe just Sunday morning for an hour or so. And it's sad. 
And then after that, if it really gets bad, they say, we're going to start meeting once a month uh, or every other week and just get a volunteer to preach. So, and that, that sounds, well, gosh, that, that's rough, but that's a reality for those, many of the churches in extremely rural, uh, struggling areas. So there's very little outreach or even involvement in the community from those churches. So even if they do have a building, and that building might be used one or two hours a week, and that's it. So even though uh, it's there, it's, it has a very, very minimum presence. So Eastern Kentucky, that whole region, uh, we here in Lexington, we have to realize that that's our mission field. We have to just say with those folks over there, uh, can't forget about them. You have to certainly be praying for them and actively involved in helping. This morning we had somebody visiting from Boonville, actually. Uh, I met them out there at the Welcome Center, and they were talking to me about this. They are saying this is a reality for churches uh, throughout eastern Kentucky, that they're just, they're just struggling making it. So um, I thought that was a great video. It ties in with uh, our mission trip there to Jenkins later this week. Open your Bible to the book of Luke. Now this entire month, on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings, we will be studying Judges. But Luke is my favorite book of the Bible, and that's why we're going through it on, on Sunday nights. Uh, I love this book. I think the, the message is very clear. It's one, I think, if you know the book of Luke, you know the Gospel. This is a mandatory New Testament book that everyone needs to know because it paints an accurate picture of Christ and His ministry and his, in many ways His private life and some of the things He struggled with. We are going to conclude, we're going to read uh, 19, 20 verses today, and we're going to conclude uh, chapter 9. Luke is actually the long, even though it doesn't have the most chapters in the New Testament, it has the most words. Its chapters are actually very long. So it's by word count, it's actually the longest uh, book in the New Testament. So um, it, we're in Luke chapter 9, verse 43. Verse 43 through 62. So I want you to follow along. We're going to look at six different sections. Uh, some of the things um, we'll be going through here. Verse 43. This here is about the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And he's predicting his death. And uh, what's interesting about this is the folks just don't understand Jesus. Uh, he's telling them what he's about to do, and they missed it. And I think it's easy for us when we read these scriptures, and we read this and thought, why didn't they get it? I mean, it's so simple. It's right there out after them. Listen, if they missed it, we'll miss it too. If Jesus is trying to speak something very clearly to our life, giving us a direction, and if his disciples are going to miss it, with Jesus standing right in front of him, we will miss it. And I think that's one of... One of the things we always have to be aware of what the Lord, when He speaks to us, says, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to tell me? How can I make an impact? Verse 43. It's, um, uh, it starts here, very in, uh, end of this healing here. It says, And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. Latter part of verse 43. While everyone was amazed at all the things He was doing, He told His disciples. Now, What's interesting about this is the way Jesus set, was set up for this. Folks are amazed at Jesus. He's getting great crowds at this part here in Luke chapter 9. The following's coming along. And naturally, if you're a celebrity and people are starting to follow you and you're getting Instagram followers and a lot of Facebook likes and Facebook friends, you become prideful and arrogance can set in. And all of a sudden you think, I'm important. People need me. 
People need to hear my message, what I have to say. But look what Jesus does while his crowd is swelling around him. When one of the neat things in, in uh, John chapter 2, we won't turn there, but when the, they were talking about how great Jesus was, in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus did not entrust himself to men. He did not entrust himself to men. What that means is, he didn't believe their words. As fast as you are praising me, you will turn around and kill me, literally stab me. So I don't believe your words about how great you're saying I am. Because his greatness doesn't come from men, it comes from God. He knew his audience of one. So what happens here, look what it says. So uh, the folks here are bragging on him. In verse 44 he says, let these words sink in. And I love this because they're talking about how great the, great the Jesus Christ is. And he comes up and he says, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. What a disappointing statement. While everyone's cheering him, he just says, All these men are so excited. And probably the disciples are thinking, Man, we've got a movement going here. We've got some traction. And he says, Uh-uh. You don't get it. I'm about to be betrayed into the Son. Uh, the Son of Man, me, I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of men. God is going to put Himself and allow Himself to fall into the hands of sinful men. And that's what He's going to do. So they, they didn't believe Him. There's a sense when they heard that, they could not accept it. And, and for us, a lot of times, we know, because we know what's going to happen here at the end of the story, we know, where the, we know how the book finishes, but they didn't. And when we hear great things, and we think ourselves are great, or we think other people are great, Jesus is reminding us that when he, folks talk great about Him, He had to let these words sink in. And if, they, if Jesus tells them to sink into His disciples, they need to sink into us. If Jesus can be betrayed into the hands of men. If Jesus can experience this disappointment and setback, so can we. You know, we all want a perfect life where everything just falls into place and it, 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 it's all a happy ever after ending. But that's not, according to the disciples, when they signed up to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not the ending they're going to get. They're expecting. They're thinking they're going to get a, a place in the, uh, the king's new cabinet. And they're going to be right there with the new king, Jesus. But the, their discipleship they signed up for will lead to death. Verse 45, But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So we see their lack of understanding. They did not understand the betrayal he was going to talk about. So now here, it shifts. An argument breaks out. Have you ever been in an argument? Have you ever found yourself arguing with someone else? And not only that, the argument's over silly things. Because this is an argument. When it's all said and done, it does not matter. I, um, uh, I went and played... Uh, the teenagers, uh, a few weeks ago, went and played... We have Bible golf here in Lexington. It's at the Lexington Ice Arena. And, the, I, and as the teenagers were going, I was reading all about I thought, I want to go do this. I mean, this just seems fun. I mean, it, it really is neat. You should bring your children, your grandchildren. It's worth going to play. Every single hole 
is a Bible story. I mean, it's incredible. I've never in my life seen I mean, you, and they tie in. It, it has Bible verses. I mean, you feel like you're in church playing mini golf there. And um, I was there, and um, I went with Marcy, Sherry's sister, because Sherry's at work. So we went and played Bible golf and brought the kids. And I lost. <laughs> and it's one of those things where my argument was, Marcy, the reason I lost is because I gave you a do-over. And if I took away the do-over, we tied. So, uh, now we didn't break out in arguments, but when I got home, I had to explain to Sherry about what really happened, about why I lost, because she got a mulligan and I got a do-over, and that's what really happened. It would have been a tie if it, ha- if it hadn't occurred. And you find yourself, and that's a silly example, but little things like this, you can find yourself literally arguing over with other folks regularly and when it's all said and done doesn't matter so this is what's happened an argument here is started among them about who's the greatest when you talk about arrogance who's the greatest person now there jesus is not involved in this argument this is among the disciples verse 47 but jesus knowing their inner thoughts took a little child he calls up and had him stand next to him he told them whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me for whoever's least among you this one is great jesus used the example of a child to teach a biblical principle i want to break this is a hard statement for us to follow once you look in your bibles this whoever welcomes this little child in my name okay you bring a child up you welcome them in my name welcomes me Jesus is saying his message can be one that even a child can receive and feel welcome to. Even a child, right now a child in Awana or a child in the Team Kit or a child in the Zip for Kids programs we have downstairs, downstairs, even they can have the understanding of receiving Jesus in their life. So he's saying, you don't want to be turning the children away. The gospel even goes out, and it's important for them to learn as well. And then whoever welcomes me, welcomes him who sent me, meaning God. If you welcome Jesus, if you accept Jesus, you've also accepted his Father. For whoever is least, the the, the least important person among you, this one is great. And the other, um, uh, the other, Gospel accounts of this saying this is the greatest in the kingdom. Meaning Jesus is teaching a principle to us that the way we measure what's great, in Bible times, children were, now the world revolves around children, they revolve around your grandchildren, they're the most important thing in the world. I mean, that, back 2,000 years ago, that was not the case at all. Children were farmhands. They were to grow up, get married, and go to the field and help mom and dad run the keep the field going i mean that's how that's why there were extremely large families that's what you do that you you have big families to help raise the field well things have changed now and the children are the most important thing so what was happening what jesus is trying to tell us as he's teaching us a principle of humility just as children are viewed back then as just nothing and just just waiting to grow up so they can be a worker and see if they can make anything out of their life. That is supposed to be our attitude. Saying, God, I have the attitude 
to doing whatever I need to do for the kingdom of God. Because you do not look at who's the greatest. Who's the greatest on our scale is not the greatest on God's scale. God is looking at folks with simple childlike faith, saying, Lord, I believe. Lord, I trust you. God, I accept your word. This sounds very simple, but this is hard for us. It is hard for us to understand, God, why is this happening? God, what, what just happened here? This wasn't my plan, what I had anticipated. And we have to literally have a childlike faith, just like a child trusts their mother and father. We, as born-again believers, we must just trust the Lord. We hand it over to Him and say, God, I trust you and what's going on. I don't know the answers, but I know you're a great God. <clears throat> the, great, well, the commitment issue there, commitment to Jesus Christ is a commitment to serving the most insignificant people. Those who we view as least, God views as the greatest. We have an attitude of serving. Moving along here, next story he, he has. Verse 49. Now this is interesting here. Um, have you ever viewed other churches as a competition or other believer? Uh, it's like you, I, uh, you go to a minister's meeting and if you've ever been to one, typically here's how they go. You'll have a couple of guys like the associational missionary or the guy from the convention say, so let's hear some reports about some great things happening in the churches. So this brother over here at Country Baptist Church says, 40 folks got saved uh, uh, this, this Sunday. This guy says, we just baptized five more people. Or our youth group's out of chairs. We can't even have room for that. In fact, I was listening to a sermon. I listened to First Baptist Dallas. This is a true story. Uh, th uh, this, this morning, getting ready with Sherry, we were listening to uh, uh, Jeffress there, Robert Jeffress at First Baptist uh, Dallas, while we were getting ready this morning, and they were talking about how it, their church just built five years ago a $135 million children and youth and college ministry and nursery. I mean, it has the greatest things in the world for young families, and they're already full. And now they've got to start a new <laughs> building program because their $135 million one is now overflowing because so many young families are being born and coming to their church. And you hear this type stuff. One time I heard evangelists, he came and he shared, he went to one of those meetings where people were bragging about how great things were happening at this church. And he was in a meeting one time and you heard from this guy talking about 40 folks got saved, they're running out of seats, everybody's just flocking over here. And then one guy stands up and says, guys, just pray for us because... We're declining, and we're dying, and it's tough times. And the evangelist says, you know, I want to, if there's someone that I can learn something from, it's that man who understands that he's in a difficult season right now in his life. There's a closeness to the Lord. Well, here, we're about to see that we're reminded here in verses 49 and 50 that there is no competition between Christians. The same God, when... One of the signs that you're not prideful is when God is blessing another church or another Christian or someone else receives the touch from the Lord, we should be rejoicing with them because God answered and heard their prayer. Remember, ultimately, we rejoice not because we receive earthly rewards, but because we have one heavenly reward. The one heavenly rewards, our name is written in the book of life. If you're saved, you're sealed 
and you've received the greatest blessing of all. You're going to heaven. Now look what happened here. John responded. So he's responding him. John is responding to, um, this is not John the Baptist, this is John who wrote the um, Gospel of John. He's responding about how children are the greatest and about this little child people gather. John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. Now, this is someone who's not in the club. Verse, verse 49. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Meaning, he's not one of the disciples. So all of a sudden, John and his, the twelve disciples are out doing some ministry out here, and all of a sudden they see this other guy who's using the name of Jesus, who's also a follower of Jesus, but he's not in the same circles. He's not in the same group, meaning he's not in the 12-disciple group, and he's driving demons out as a follower of Jesus in Jesus' name, but he's not one of them. So it's like, wait a minute. I'm the follower of Jesus here. Jesus selected me to be the disciple. Who do you think you are? being able to use the name of Jesus, and you're now driving out demons. So what do they do? Apparently Jesus was not around. They go over there, and they start trying to stop the guy. They say, you need to stop. We, you don't have any business. Only we have the, we, we have the uh, connection card, the leverage, the, the, the solution to be able to drive out. We're the club of people who can drive out people in Je- name Demons in Jesus' name. So look what Jesus says. Do you see the pride built up in John when he said that? Verse 50. Jesus says, don't stop him. Jesus told him, because whoever is not against you is for you. Meaning, that man is a follower. You have no business stopping that man. Jesus just confirmed to us, is as great as we are as Bible-believing Christians, And I believe we are part of the best denomination out there you can pick from. I believe Southern Baptists have guided omissions. They understand the principle of reaching their city, their state, their nation, and the world for Christ. The cooperative program is effective. Lottie Moon, goes. the the gospel goes out. We are completely rooted and built on the Bible. This is a denomination that is completely Christ-centered. It's a church That's Christ-centered. But the truth is, there are other people groups, other Christian groups out there, they might not be in our umbrella, in our club, but they're still followers and disciples of Jesus. And God will still use them to perform great things. And our job isn't to criticize them. The only thing we criticize people, and I hesitate using that word, the only time we disagree about people is... Over Scripture. If someone's in error, the Bible says to correct them. But you're not tearing them apart. You're saying, hey, here's what the Word says. Here's what the Scriptures say about this. Jesus is affirming that it's okay to have multiple different groups reaching different types of folks. There's different types of church, different types of Christians to reach different types of people. And He's saying, we don't stop them. We shouldn't be criticizing them. We should be thankful that God is using them. For because of the fact, when they're, they're not against you, they're not stopping you, in fact, they're actually for you. You're on the same page. 
This Jesus is saying he's building an army of a variety of people with a variety of background with the same mission. Our mission is to say we have a lost and dying world and we're going to be aggressive in taking the good news, the good news to them. Now, look what happens here. Verse 51, this, uh, these next two stories here, I think of the main two here, the Samaritans rejected Jesus. Jesus, who had been there, who performed miracles there, they had prejudices against other people groups, and they couldn't accept Jesus. There was a sense of disappointment here with the Samaritans. Verse 51, look in your Bible, Luke 9.51, it says, when the, days, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, meaning one day Jesus is going to die, so he's, he's, the ministry is starting to turn. The turn now is towards the cross. Jesus, yes, he was a faith healer, yes, he drove out demons, he raised people from the dead, but that was not his purpose. His purpose was to die. He determined to journey to Jerusalem. Now, why is he going to Jerusalem? He's going there to die. He's going there ultimately because he knows what's going on. He sent messengers ahead of him. And on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Make preparations, meaning they were going to have a meal. Meaning they were finding a place to stay. It's kind of they were going to find an upper room, uh, 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 a place to sleep, a place they could find a time of fellowship. So they're there in Samaria, and they're getting things ready. But something happened here. Now you say, Dan, what's the big deal? Samaria. Samaria were, were the, uh, you know, in Judaism, the Israelites were people who could trace their heritage back to the 12 tribes of Israel. They were coming from Father Abraham. That was their, their, their Hebrew lineage. That's what made you Jewish. Well, the, the Jewish folks were commanded, you should not intermarry, such as the Canaanites, the Amorites. You don't need to marry these other people groups. When you get married, you find someone who's also Jewish, and you marry them because they believe and worship the same God you do. Well, what happened, unfortunately, was some of the Israelites did marry what we call today as Gentiles. They went out, and it say Sherry was a Canaanite, and I go, I'm a Jewish man, I go marry a Canaanite. So now we have children. We've cross-breeded a Gentile, a Canaanite, and a Jewish man. Our children were called Samaritans. And we had to go live in Samaria because we weren't pure Jews. Mama's a Canaanite, daddy's an Israelite. These people were frowned upon by Jewish folks. They did not like them. Samaria were the half-breeds. They were those that have, they were diso all they could see is, you know what, these Samaritans here, this is a sign of disobedience because this Jewish man should have never married a Canaanite. He should have only married a fellow Jewish person. He married a Gentile. So that's what happened. They got in their little region there called Samaria. Well, the great thing about Samaria, Jesus went to Samaria and reached those people with the gospel. He did miracles and he shared the good news. And Samaritans, they got saved. The book of Acts, they have a Samaritan revival that occurred there. Well, look what happens here. So they're going through Samaria on their way. Samaria is north of Jerusalem. That's that region. So they're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going down there to get ready to die. So along the way, what happens? Uh, in verse 53, it says, But they, that's the Samaritans, 
did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. They did not welcome him. They found out that he was just passing through on his way to Jerusalem. This would be like during the time of the Civil War, where all of a sudden, say you have a very large home or a hotel, and someone's passing through a traveler, and they're thinking, well, you're sure you can stay here in Lexington. Just spend the night at $10, we'll let you stay here, and then you just keep on going. So where are you going? Oh, I'm going up to Cincinnati, I'm going up into Ohio to help the Union, uh, the Union Army there. You know, I'm an uh, Ohioan, Ohioan, and I just want to support the North. Well, buddy, you're not, I'm not allowing you to stay here. I don't like those Yankees up there. Under no circumstance are you allowed to stay in my home or any of my property. In fact, you need to get off my property. That's, that's the reception that you would give during the time of Civil War if you didn't want to support the Union or the, Yank, or the Northerners. Well, that's what happened here. They found out they're going to Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans knew the Jews, the pure-breeded Jews, lived in Jerusalem. That was the land of Judah. They don't want anybody who's going to Jerusalem to spend the night in their country. In fact, Jesus has no business going there. He wants to do ministry. He just needs to stay here or go up to Galilee, his hometown. But not, never should he go to Jerusalem. So you see the prejudice that's against it. They reject him. Jesus was told, no, we don't want you here. Verse 54, look what happens. Look at the reaction. Have you ever been rejected? Someone ever told you no? You had a great plan and purpose? Or you felt discriminated against? Look what happens here. Verse 54. Now remember, John was just told that we don't need to stop people. He's just got rebuked about we don't get on to other people who are driving out demons just because they're not part of the club. So now they were rejected, James and John. So look at verse 54. When the disciple James and John saw this, meaning saw this, they got rejected. Nobody wants them to stay where they're coming. They said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and to consume them? You ever feel like you want to kill someone? That's what James and John just felt like. Jesus, I want you to be aware of something. These hobos here in Samaria, they just told us we're not allowed to stay here. They don't even want us here. Let's go ahead, just like Elijah brought down fire. I've got a great plan. Let's just talk to the Lord, and I know He'll bring down fire and kill them all right in front of our eyes. That will teach them a lesson. That was James and John's plan. Do you all not see how ridiculous this is? Is Jesus' message, does it come from fire from heaven? Does he go about advancing the kingdom by killing people? Do we go and say, let's do a great miracle and you need to die? What, there, there's a sense of pride and arrogance with James and John in this statement. This, the arrogance is, we are so great. We are so much better than you. If you don't allow me to stay in your house, God himself is going to send that fire down and consume you. Because we've got Jesus with us. Now look at Jesus' reply. Look what he does here. Verse 55, But he turned and rebuked them straight to the face. He called out sin, Johnny on the spot. There's a time in our life when someone is sinning in front of us. When people make ridiculous statements, you have to say, that is wrong. 
You shouldn't be saying that. Now, you don't rebuke over preferences. You rebuke over sin. Asking to kill someone because they weren't hospitable to you and you want to call down fire from heaven as if God is waiting to just obey James and John's command to kill these people. He turned, and what that meant was they're probably walking out of the village because they were ejected. And Jesus said, what happened? Well, this guy, he, he said no. He found out where we were going. But, you know, Jesus, it's your word. You let me know. We'll call down fire. He turned and says, no, you should not be talking like this. When someone rebukes us, we don't attack back. We don't, we don't hit back when that we get hit. Verse 56, and they went to another village. If they were rejected in one village, what do you do? You just dust off the feet and say, we're going somewhere else. We're not going to tell the manager. We're not going to trash them on the internet. We're going to move along and just go to another village. They can just not allow the Messiah to spend the night in their hometown. But I want to, the, the principle here for us is we are just like James and John. When you've been hurt, when you've been offended, when you've been insulted, when you've been mocked, you want to re retaliate. You want to strike back. Jesus didn't do that. He just said, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. There's never a revenge in Jesus. You do not see that in our, our Lord. Last section here, verse 57. I want you to follow on. Last one we're going to see here. This is the greatest, uh, greatest thing here, I think, in the Bible about what it means to be a disciple. All of us here probably would admit you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. But when you sign up to follow the Lord, the commitment is high and the consequences are great. As they were traveling on the road, verse 57, someone said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Meaning, Jesus... Wherever you go, put me down, sign me up. I want to be your disciple. And Jesus replies to them in verse 58, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now what Jesus just said there is, if you're a fox, you live in a den. If you're a bird, you live in the sky, you have a nest. But me, the Messiah, I'm homeless. I don't even have a place because the Samaritans didn't want me. You have to understand the context. What's going on here? He just got run out of the Samaritan village. He just was told, we don't want you here anymore. So they're just traveling along, and this guy runs up and says, hey, sign me up to be a disciple. He says, are you sure you want to follow me? I'm homeless. You're following a homeless man that has no place to lay his head. He's telling us that you as a disciple here in 2018, Jesus says, I'll guarantee you salvation. You'll have a home in heaven, but I cannot promise you a home here on earth. You are not entitled even to a home. That's not what following Jesus means. That's what you've signed up for. Verse 59. Then he said to another, follow me. So apparently the walking along, Jesus called someone to follow him. Come on, I want you to be a disciple. Now look at his reply. Lord, he said, this is the latter part of verse 59. First, let me go bury my father. You know, obviously, is, is missing church for a uh, funeral service? If your dad died and you need to bury him, that was very important in Jewish 
a burial customs to honor your father. Saying that incredibly important. I'm going to pay my respects to my dad. I need to bury him. I'm going to show my love and devotion to my father. But look what Jesus Jesus says something that almost seems just out of almost ridiculous. If if someone, if I let me put this in as example. I'll pick on uh I'll pick on Brother Hurd. Let's say, let's go back in time a few years, and Brother Hurd's father had passed away. And say Brother Hurd was a member of our church. And uh, he, he was supposed to um, maybe say the opening prayer and give an announcement and share and bless the people here on Sunday. Just say some words. And Brother Hurd's father passed away. And Brother Hurd came to me and said, You know, Daniel, my dad has passed away. I'm going back to Arkansas. I'm going to bury him. And I'm going to show my respects. And I made the comment says, Brother Herb, by you doing that, that really shows you're not a follower of Jesus. I can't believe you would miss church to go bury and go honor and pay your respects to your dad. People would look at me and think, that's the most insensitive man I've ever seen. Of course you honor your, da- your dad. But I want you to see something deeper here, what Jesus is about to say. Jesus is going to hit the nail on being a disciple. I, th- I don't think there's a more important verse on discipleship than this. This is a verse young people don't understand. They don't understand the cost involved. When you follow Jesus, Jesus demands everything of you. Your time, your money, your life. He's giving you eternal life. He wants more than an hour or two on a Sunday morning. Look what he says here. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. He said, you, he said boy, you don't need to be worried about burying your father. His, his fate is sealed. Who cares about his body? Your dad's in heaven. Let, let dead people bury dead people. Like There's something more. What do you need to be doing? You don't need to be in the cemetery with dead folks and looking at graves worrying about what. If Papa's getting honored, you need to go out and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. A disciple of Jesus Christ, Broadway, is someone who tells other people the good news. And that's a priority. Evangelism, outreach, missions. It is the DNA of a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't care about history. He ends history. He knows how it all will end. History doesn't matter. Honoring dead people doesn't matter. Paying respects to the dead. He's saying the most important thing for a believer in Jesus Christ is spreading the good news. What he just said, he said, there's something more in your heart, young man. You love your family, even your dead family, than you love me. And you can't be a follower. Look what he says next. He goes on to say here, Another said, someone else comes up to him, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Now, obviously, if you are about to become a disciple of Jesus, you need to go say your goodbyes. Say, Sherry, I'm leaving. I'm going to become a disciple of the Lord. I'm going to become a devout follower. 
I'm getting my priorities in order, but I need to go and tell all the little children and say goodbye and get everything ready. I'm going to make it safe for you. I'll be back in a few months. And look how Jesus, look at this statement he says. Jesus said to him, this is the guy who needs to go home first and take care of some business. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow. So you got your plow, and you put your hand to the plow. Meaning, the plow is the mission of Jesus Christ. The plow is the person who says, I'm going to go out and spread the good news. I'm going to go out among the people who are lost and who do not know the Lord and tell them about the joy. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. The looks back. Do you all know what that means? The looks back means, yeah, I remember when I was single before I got to know the Lord. I remember when I had a lot of time and freedom and when I could do whatever I wanted to. I remember my old life, how great it was. No one who does that, who reminisces, who thinks of the good old days, is fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning Jesus does not want you to sign up as a disciple, to sign up as a follower of Him, and then talk about all the sin and the garbage and the good old days in your past. He doesn't care. He's forgiven you of that. He's moved you past that. Following Christ, well, this is, this is, these verses here, verses 57 through 62, are the model of discipleship. He is telling us, listen, you're going to be a disciple, you're going to be homeless. I can promise you nothing, nothing. You're not guaranteed. I don't even have a home. Even a fox has a den. A bird has a nest somewhere. I can't even get a room in Samaria. They ran me out. What do you mean you want to follow me? Number two, he says here, verse 60, you're worried about dead people. Why are you worrying about dead people? You need to be worried about the living. They're the ones that need to get saved. Who cares about history? No one needs to honor the dead. It means nothing putting flowers and what you're doing here. Jesus wants you to vest in the future, in the living. He's the God of living and the dead. The dead's fate is sealed. Then he says, you're, you want to go say goodbye to your family? Because your family, if it means more than you, me, you can't be my follower. You can't put your hand to the plow. You can't sign up to do this and then look back. We are surrounded by people, all even possibly in our church, they have put their hand to the plow and they've looked back. Look back me, well, you know, I know I made that decision, but you know, what did it I was what did it really mean? You know, there's other things, there's busyness of life. I've got other priorities. Whatever the plow Looking back from the prow, meaning remembering the past. Your memory can haunt you, Jesus is saying. The gospel advances the kingdom. It's all future-based. Our prayer for our church should be that in the weeks, months, and years ahead, there are new faces of folks who've gotten saved, and they're now here. Once an empty pew is now filled by someone who was told about Jesus. Listen, you ever you want to disciple someone, you show them these verses here. The, the standard for following Jesus is so high, he makes it if he is not first, he doesn't want any other place. Jesus Christ is and has to be the most important person in your life. He's how you spend your money. 
He's how you spend your time. He's how you spend your thought life. He doesn't want you to be thinking of the past. He wants top priority. God, I thank you tonight for this word. Lord, I pray this word sinks into our souls and our hearts. Lord, there might be some of us that we've put our hands to the plow, and for whatever and every reason, we have looked back. Lord, it is sinful and wrong for us to be second-guessing, to think there's more important things than following you. God, I pray during this invitation, if there's anyone here you've called to follow you, I pray they will respond. Lord, you call us publicly. What you do privately in heart, we're to respond publicly. Lord, we give you this invitation. I thank you for bringing us to this worship service. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. We're going to have our hymn of invitation. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. We close our services with the invitation for you to respond to the gospel. Let's stand together and sing. We'll sing together. I have decided. I have decided to follow. Dave, I want to remind you, um, uh, this week, it's a couple of things uh, I d- did not mention. Uh, if you know someone, we have a, a Sherry and we adopted Esther. We uh, use a company called Lifeline Children's Services. And they have an office here in Louisville, or over in Louisville. So they will be coming here to just have an adoption informational meeting. If you know of anybody or, or have any connections of uh, maybe your children, grandchildren that have ever considered adoption, it's a, just a free meeting, a meet in the choir room or, or downstairs in one of the rooms there. So it meets at 6.30 during church. Uh, it's just one of our classes on Wednesday night. So I just wanted to mention that. Uh, you can just let me know if you want to come. That way they can just kind of an idea about how many folks um, uh, is open to the public with that. Be uh, praying for us later this week. We'll be going to Jenkins. We're going to have a great mission trip. One of the neat things we're going to be doing there is we're going to set up a tent and we're going to do magic shows at the city pool. Uh, Glenn's going to do the magic show and they're going to allow us we'll be able to share the gospel there to all the children which is neat because we hope to have little chairs out like really create a little stage and a, um, uh, some cha- seating place so that literally they were telling us that weekend at the city pool Jenkins is a big deal and we want to use that as a way that Glenn can do his magic tricks and then maybe me or someone else will be able to share and communicate the gospel I think that's a fantastic way so that you're uh, right there at the city pool. People are going to swim, but they need to take a break. They come, we'll give them some treats or something, some drinks. They'll sit there, and they'll come and listen to the gospel. I think that's outstanding, creative ministry of doing that. So we'll use those little pop-up tents that we'll be able to sit up, set up in the shade and do that and bring some chairs. So those are well, some of the things we'll be doing. We'll just be going all out in the hollers there, um, uh, visiting folks and uh, doing personal and evangelistic ministry. So be praying for that. This coming Wednesday back uh, we have dinner at 5 30 then at 6 o'clock or 6 30 we have our um our uh going through the book of judges or studying the different judges i'm gonna ask david who'll close their song good let's sing together the chorus leaning on the everlasting arms leaning, leaning, safe and
Señor. 